Um, so this is going to date me a little bit. Does, do people know, do you know what cassette tapes are? When I was in college, a long time ago, uh, there was this uh, thing, I think it was called like the Columbia Club, you know that thing? Yeah, college students, man, got no money, but you're telling me that I can get 10 or 11 cassettes for a penny? Has anyone done that? Yeah. Yeah. The next thing you know, you get a box of cassettes or, you know, eight tracks, whatever your age is, (laughs) and it's free. It's a penny. I think I even put a penny in an envelope and said, I paid my bill. Done. Except, you know where I'm going with this? There was some fine print. And they're telling me that they're going to now send me every month another cassette, eight track. I don't know if they still do it with CDs. They probably, there's probably, no, it's gone. It's over. Because people like me had 50 aliases. Did you do that? (laughs) Some of you are like, I need to repent of a lot of bad things I did. And I had lots of bills. Sometimes if you don't read the fine print, you can get in big trouble. Maybe you had an experience with some other financial venture. Maybe it's some other contract that you signed. Maybe someone's going, yeah, I didn't read the fine print when I got married. Or I don't know if that's, that's bad, huh? I don't know where you're at. But uh, a lot of times there's great implications that go along with that. When we read the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 and Luke 14 today, and you'll see it in other places in the Gospels, listen, I want to tell you, following Jesus, there's no fine print. He does not beat around the bush. His words to us are how to live life abundantly. He, re- he redefines what it means to have a full, abundant life, and it sounds at times preposterous. You'll hear it today and go, that is insanity. It's absurd. It's illogical. But he's giving us a choice. It's It's not a demand. It's not, you know, a guilt ridden thing. It's not something that he will force you to do. You have an option. And you'll see this throughout the Bible. Maybe one day we'll talk about like fence sitting, kind of riding the fence is the term, right? When you're not, the Bible even says hot or cold. And Jesus, really what he's doing, like many people did in the Bible, if you go way back in Old Testament, Joshua did it with the people and said, hey, listen, I'm not going to force you today, but pick who you're going to serve. Okay, follow God, follow the world. It's your choice. But I love it. What does Joshua say? But as for me and my house, he even speaks up for his kids and his family. As as far as we're concerned, this is what we're doing. You do what you want to do. He gives you that option. So anytime... You know, pastors, teachers try to guilt you into something or, listen, we can get good at manipulating people. It's wrong. That's not God's way. You have a choice. God's created us with with a will to to choose him or not, even though he's chosen us. 
You still have to make that decision. And so Jesus brings this up. Many others did in the Bible. Joshua, Peter, different ones many times. Pick, choose. And he kind of addresses us fence riders. People sitting there, either hot or cold, the Bible says, you know, you're just lukewarm. It's not a good place to be, is it? There's lots of things in life where that kind of comes up. And today Jesus is going to give some pretty harsh words to us. He's going he's to call people out. And I think he does that here. It scares me a little bit sometimes because I wonder when you do that, if people will come back again. You know, a new church like this, four years old, growing, you get scared sometimes because there's certain things that can dictate your decisions if you're not careful. But we come to these portions of Scripture and you cannot get around it. This is how what it says. Jesus, again, there's no fine print. I also got to be careful, and I want you to, to do this with me as we move forward over the next you know, seven, eight more weeks of looking at what it means to be a disciple. And we'll, we'll come to this place where we'll say, now go and make disciples. Jesus says, I'm with you. Let's do this. We got this. I believe in you. And, uh, and, and uh, what I want us to do is, I'm doing this for myself, so even today I'll mention a couple things. I have to evaluate this for myself. In being one of the leaders of the church, I evaluate it for us. Right? There's an element of that, yes. But today, you know, parents, think about it for your kids, yes. But also look at your own self. When we ask some of these questions, when we, when we work through these characteristics over the coming weeks, and especially today when we think about these things, where are you? God loves you. He cares about you. And some of the things that he will do can be hard on us, but worth it in his kingdom work. So when we talk about, I'll mention some stuff for me, selfishness. Don't poke your spouse or your neighbor and go, man, you really need this today. You could do that afterwards, but first get the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> All right, if you know that scripture. So let's look at these words. Might as well jump right into it, right? And let's, let's, let's get to it. The first one, two portions that comes up many times in the Gospels, these things. I'm reading two because of the way it's said and what it kind of brings up. Uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 26, a few verses here. And this is just a repetitive thing. We, we have the scripture right before us constantly to be reminded of. We're working towards this um, in the next weeks. Uh, and when, when some of you get baptized next week, this is what you're doing. This is what, this is what you said. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, these are the words that should have impacted us. This is what we, we signed up for. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. Last week we said that. Following's a big deal, not a box we check. Though we may have done that, it's a, it's a God we follow. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. Anybody dealt with that? I have. I think sometimes I still really struggle with that, especially the selfish part up there. But if you give up your life for my sake, this is hard to see, but it's true, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own what? 
Is anything, this is rhetorical, is anything worth more than your soul? For many of us, the answer is no. This scripture right here alone, before we move on to Luke, that last portion is a big deal because it has eternal implications. And it says in there, Jesus says, follow me. Here's what it looks like. Here's some big stuff to bring up. And it has to do with your soul. Soul is eternal. Physical body going to go away. I hurt my back on Saturday. Just was horrible. I went and cried to my neighbor. She's like a, a therapist. I, Eric's here. He was there. Cried to him. I sucked out as much as I could from these people. Free, like, instructions. Free, like, uh, my neighbor's got this, this blue liquid stuff that, like, you put on and it burns. And, but, man, it feels great. I went over to the neighbor. You know, we're all friends in our neighborhood, try to take care of each other and crying at the door. My wife went and was visiting a friend from out of town, and I just like, Mary Jane, I need help. <laughs> oh, you know, and then it's just, then it becomes selfish. Ron, oh, come, yes, let me take care of you. That's, I'm a big baby. Yes, it's true. Ask my wife. His physical body breaks down. But Jesus says this has to do with your soul. That's a big deal. The grand implications here. That's eternal thinking. Keep that in mind. When we talk about these things, I'm not talking about you just having like more success, financial benefits, you know, 11 CDs for a penny. I'm talking about eternity. That's why this compels us to move forward for others as well. Because it has to do with their soul. Your soul, your child's soul. Parents, you'll make decisions that your kids are not going to like. You know why? Because you care about their soul. You care about them physically, emotionally as well, please, but you care about their soul. So there are times when you make decisions for them as a parent because of the implications that it will have on their life in the future. God help us. It's why our kids are going down, our kids workers, some of them, we sent, you, I shouldn't say we, you sent them down to L.A. Because we want them to do a great job at teaching our kids about Jesus. To hear the gospel, the good news of who he is and what he's done for us and how he feels about us. It's important. That's why we're starting youth ministry we're investing in this because of that importance, because of this. The other portion, he kind of, now Jesus expounds on this a little bit. Luke, it's found in Luke chapter 14. And Luke 14 says these words, and, and look at this. He just kind of goes a little deeper. A large crowd was following Jesus. It's always going to be a crowd, especially when he's doing miraculous things. He's feeding them. It draws a crowd. I bet you we could double up if I said, well, we're doing a barbecue next week. That should cause you to bring a friend. But if I said, man, we're having like kaleidoscope breadsticks next week. All you can eat. We're just going to pass them around all service. You know what those are? They're, they're evil, right? <laughs> and I can't have bread right now on this challenge we're doing, so I'm just dreaming about it right now. So listen, you go next week, you could tell if we're going to have free. Draws a crowd, right? Jesus had a crowd because of all the things he was doing. 
But when it becomes about what he's done for them and who he is deeper and the reality of life and the soul implications, things change. He turns around to the crowd and he says, because he's calling us out, if you want to be my disciple, because a lot of people wanted to be with him, around him, but not follow him. He says, you must, by comparison, these are harsh words, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, it's not the same hate like I hate peas. It's different. It's prioritizing. We'll get to that in a minute. Otherwise, you cannot, this is harsh, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross, take up that suffering, willing to do whatever, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't, so here's where he takes it a little deeper. We almost consider this. Don't begin until you count the cost. Because there is a cost to this. For who would begin construction? He gives two illustrations of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Nobody would. They're going to do that. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. And uh, some of our spouses probably have laughed at us many times because we didn't count the cost, and there's that unfinished project sitting in the garage that they want out or want done. They would say, hey, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it, and they would laugh. He continues on with another one. He says, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, because of that, counting the cost, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Count that cost. Is it worth it to you? Do you want to even do it? Those are big, harsh words. He continues on, and we'll come to this at the end. Salt is good for seasoning. Yes, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You can't. Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Jesus says poop there. Yes, that's what kids would po point out. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand, and God help us today to listen and understand for the community that we're a part of, but also for our own personal souls. Those are big, harsh words that Jesus says. They can seem illogical and complicated and tough, and they are challenges, uh, challenging to us. Jesus, as we look at that scripture, he's calling us out from the crowd. He's challenging the crowd and people to a greater commitment. And one of the things he's telling them is, you cannot just show up once in a while. You can't just show up because he's doing miracles, ate some food, you like his teaching. In fact, it'll come up later in Luke, or er, it was a little earlier in Luke, in 13, when he, he says, you will say, people will say to him, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't even know you or where you come from. Get away from me. You, I don't even know you. You just came for something. Now God can use those things to draw us to him, but then we have a decision to make on whether we're going to follow him or not. So just showing up is not going to cut it. Popping in to church it's a good thing. We want you here. 
But that's not salvation. Giving tithe money, thank you, goes a long ways for God's kingdom work. Helping out once in a while. It's It's not what he's calling us to. Those are great things. I was reading some things about this, and one writer wrote, you're not joining a parade. Ron, you're, you're not showing up at a parade and marching with the, the cool parade leader. It's not just showing up or checking a box or saying even a prayer. Those are good things. Many of our salvation experiences begin that way. Mine at Evans Valley Elementary School down in the cafeteria I said a prayer after I was presented the gospel. But a life began. A process was now pursued, and it's been a process. This is not low risk, low cost. If you sign up for this, it's risky. It is. This is a risky decision, and there is a cost to it. This is not play it safe. And it is not, it's a biggie for me, make everyone happy. I'm notorious for wanting to make everyone happy. Anybody else? Please help me out here. Okay, good. Enough to make me feel better. See? <laughs> Jesus is calling us and people to step out from the crowd, repent of their sin, receive God's grace and forgiveness, and then go all in following him. And then we begin to practice this full abundant life that he promises as new creations, the new creations that he speaks about and calls us to. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be a harsh message. So I wonder, I asked myself this question, I wanted to present it to you just to think about for a minute. There's going to be a few of these throughout the next little bit of time. But this question is this, up on the screen. (laughs) They didn't have my magic point or something like that. Have I, so I'm personalizing, have I diluted the radical demands of Jesus? As a teacher, as a pastor... Have I done it for myself just in following him? Because they are radical demands. They are. Some of you, your life will change. I remember when I first met Nick and Dana. We're sitting right down here. Nick is one of our elders. He's got the beautiful shiny head right up in the front here. <laughs> the massive goatee. Uh, I'm just jealous because I can't grow something like that. Um, and I remember how... I think it was they would never go to, if I, don't, I don't know the whole story, but like, call us anywhere, God. I think you sang a song about it or something about never going to Africa, and within a year or two, guess where they were at? In Africa. Some of you, it will cause you to move and make changes that don't make sense to anyone else around you, but you know God has told you to do it. Some of you, it may mean the way you kind of reorient your life around Christ. Some of you, it'll be family implications, and some people will make decisions to follow him, and no one around you follows him, and it hurts. 
because they don't want to be around you as much. These, are, these have some tough implications at times. I don't want to dilute the message of Jesus and these radical demands. So what are they? I also, yeah, you know, don't want to make a soft sell to you. Hey, it's radical, but don't worry about it. It'll be real easy. <laughs> Number one, it's a total commitment. These are very simple things to grasp a hold of. That total commitment that Jesus speaks of in these scriptures are all about single-minded devotion. So he brings up hating people, but in comparison, it's not hating people. It's just making Jesus number one. Do you at all, those of you that follow Jesus, so this is for those that follow Jesus. If you've not made that decision, this is not for you. Again, I'm glad you're here. I hope you consider this, but I want you to count the cost. I'll walk through this with you. If you go, Ron, that's crazy. I'm not ready to do it, but I'm going to show up next week anyways. I'm like, awesome, perfect. Let's talk. I'll, I'll be praying for you behind the scenes. But I'm, I'm glad you're here. But maybe some of us need to consider, where does Jesus fit into my life? Is he number one compared to anything? You know, some of you might go, I thought my wife was supposed to be my number one. Not above Jesus. I think I'm a better man if Jesus is number one. A better husband if Jesus is number one. A better friend if Jesus is number one. But it's hard to see sometimes that, that very thing, you know. The same for your kids. We want you and desire that you have Christ number one in your life. So maybe it's something to consider. Where does he fit? Where is he at? Is he a priority? It may take resetting some priorities. It may take, I've been learning this a lot over the past probably six months. I let so many people dictate my schedule to make some of them happy that basically just did what they wanted me to do. And it would take time away at times from the priorities that needed to be there. Maybe it's, it's resetting your priorities concerning your schedule or something else because everything is at risk for the sake of the kingdom. I won't have it on the screen, but in this commitment, Jesus deals with this with some people. And it says he's walking along, and uh, someone begins to ask him questions. I love this. This guy says to him, hey, listen, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus says, listen, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Is that what you want? You follow me wherever you go? He said to someone else, hey, come follow me, this man or woman. And they agree, but then they say, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him these, these hard words, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus cares. We know throughout scripture, Jesus holds to high value people and family and relationships. So he's not saying that that's not a good thing. But somebody made a decision and said, listen, I got a whole life to live. I need to go take care of all these things first. Then I will come follow you. And Jesus is talking about, again, the priority. He says one more time, he's asked, and this person says, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. 
But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Harsh words to consider. Again, it does not take away this idea that Jesus loves people, loves our families, and we should too. But it's more prioritizing where we're at. These are hard things. It takes following Jesus a total commitment. And I please ask you to consider that today. Where are you at with that? What are the priorities in your life? Where does Jesus fit in to all of this? Will it change certain things? Number two, the other thing, this is a biggie for me, is it's turning from self. It's a tough one for me because I at times don't want to admit it and I can get defensive with my wife, but I can be a selfish person. I know it's shocking to look at me and think that. I am often my biggest obstacle to following Jesus. I can't blame somebody else. And the more I walk with him, I realize the more he loves me. And the the more I realize he loves me, even when it's hard and he points things out to me, I embrace it because he has the best for me. New things come up to reveal this to me. So I, I won't even go into the whole week, but last night, I'll just do the freshest thing. Last night, my wife, Heidi, she's helping out in the kids today. She went and saw some, some uh, friends, a friend that was here from Bend. I went and, you know, got some help from my neighbor because my back was hurt. <laughs> and then I got to walk my dogs. I got three dogs, and I walk them separate so I can kind of enjoy that time because if you walk three big, giant dogs, it's always not enjoyable. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I walk him, and I walk uh, the, the one that's the easiest to walk, Bo. He's our three-legged pit bull mix. Just the sweetest dog in the world. He's the one dog that if someone's going to come up, I mean, you can do it to all of them, but he's just going to like, please love me. And you think like, we love you every second of the day. But, you know, he's just like, nobody cares about me. and just plops down with people. and <laughs> so He's just adorable. And so I'm, I'm walking. I want a little time. I had some music playing on my phone, listening to it. I'm trying to take some time to relax. And I'm walking Bo down the street, heading over to the school, Jacksonville Elementary School, to walk through the parking lot there. And I got my little route that I take with him. And then I get my other dog and the two of them together. Then I put them away. And number three goes, Big Jed. And, and I'm with Bo. And uh, this woman, this older lady's walking down the street towards me. I'm, you know, part of me is like, not in the mood to talk to anybody right now. Do not approach me. <laughs> Maybe the persona is like, do not enter my zone. All right, music's going and all that. And uh, we're crossing. She looks over. And um, she says, oh. I'm like, it's done, you know. <laughs> Can I pet your dog? Nope, he's really mean. And he... <laughs> I did not say that. I said, of course you can. Come on over. She comes over. And, uh, but I'm thinking, you know, you pet the dog for a few minutes. Bo's a sweetheart, and then Bo wants to go pee on something. So we're going to have to leave in a second. And so uh, I got him, and, uh, you know, he just wants to jump on her and lay down and pet me and pet me and pet me. Finally, he gets up, and she says, can I walk with you? I'm like, oh, man, what in the world is going on here? God, I wanted my own time here. 
praise God that he, he reveals the selfishness of my own life. She didn't have to experience any of it. I did, though. Because as we started the walk, she goes, this breaks my heart. She goes, I just lost my dog of 16 years ago, two days ago. She just, just killed me. You know, I'm like, this, in here, if, you do, if, you, if you're like me, this selfishness is rolling. Now, most of the time, I don't let it come out. But I'm just like, thank you, God, for just keeping my mouth shut. Keeping a smile. Because the Bible tells us that the love of God compels us to do these things. Urges us on. And we just walked for a while. And this gal just, you know, is unloading. And I'm like, you, you can walk with us anytime you want. And she's alone, you know, and, and uh, I, I pray that we understand the implications. She does not know Jesus yet. But through an unselfish dog and a selfish man that God's working on, maybe she will soon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a lot about this, and, uh, and he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And the truth is, folks, that's what Jesus is calling us to. Physically die? Eh, there's stories, but many of us, it's, it's selfish, it's personal. So one of the things that Jesus says to us is, Ron, turn from self. The other thing that he says in there, these big ideas, is he requires a surrendering of all. That I need to be willing to give up everything for him. It may mean rejection, persecution, being disliked. I think it's tough for us in the States because we don't see all the rejection and persecution that many other places do. Um, I see some when I go to Israel. Many of you have experienced through video and different things how this has implications for people in other parts of the world. But for many, it may be being disliked, a sacrifice. It may be giving up of things that are hard to let go of. The story of the rich young ruler that approaches Jesus. Jesus you know, talked about commandments, and he thought he was just supposed to keep the rules. And Jesus says, well, there's still something you lack, because the guy goes, I did all that. What else do I need to do? And he says, well, sell everything give it to the poor and follow me. And he says, it says that he couldn't do that because he had great wealth. So one of the things that Jesus is asking of us is everything. I, I brought up last week, a lot of times we compartmentalize our lives. Whether we mean it or not, we say, hey, you can have this, but I'm keeping this right here for me. Jesus does not say that to us. It's not one of the options you don't have to do this, but he, did, he, he, he requires a surrendering of all, and it may have great implications on our lives, but it's worth it. Think about these questions with me. Here's another one. Have I given Jesus access to all of my life? Is there anything that you're holding back Have I given Jesus access to all my life? 
especially the parts that no one else sees. You don't know everything I do. You know what I tell you today from up here, and then you know what you catch me in or see me in out in town. But you don't know everything. So I can hide a lot if I choose to. You could ask Heidi, my wife, and you can get a little more in depth. <laughs> then some of you know me pretty well, and you can point that out probably pretty easy. If we're not all in, this is think about this with me, and we'll we'll move towards uh, you know wrapping up soon. But I struggled with this for a long time. If you're not all in, then you may have been in a spiritual uh, kind of up and down life. Does anybody just relate to you? You get on a spiritual high and then you dive bomb and it feels like God isn't even there. And then you go to a camp, retreat, a good service, challenging word, whatever, and boom, you're way up here. And then you go along a little bit longer this time and you dive bomb here. You read the Bible, another challenging thing happens and you take a a great leap and you're up here and it goes a long time because now you're praying more, you got involved in a small group, you know, you helped out, set up, clean up at the barbecue. <laughs> and then boom, you're here. You're great. Family's good. Your wife loves you today. <laughs> Kids aren't mad at you. And you're on a spiritual high. Two hours later, they don't. <laughs> I mean, is that... There's a lot more to it, but is that track with anybody? And you look back, I'm 52. I look back at my life, and I see the ups and downs of spirituality that really prove to me that I have not been all in. And it creates that up and down life. You know why? Because it's dictated by what, think about it, what I do, not God. Some of you put it spiritually into, did you read your Bible enough? He likes me. Nope, hates me. Went to church three times in a row in a month. Nailed it. God digs me even more. You know, we put that, we start living that kind of life. Didn't go to church for two months. God don't like me right now. Come back, feels good, I'm up. Prayer life, you went on a missions trip, you go to camp, a retreat. There's all those things that spiritually jack us up take us up and down all the time. In my small group on Tuesday, and I have room in my small group, get a connection card if you want to join a small group. We're in Jacksonville. There's only like four of us. We need some people, okay, to to work together with this. And uh, if you want, write Adams on their small group and hand it to me after the service if you want to hook up Tuesday, 630. We're talking about this a little bit in the small group. And uh, Sean is a pilot, helicopters and some other crazy things that he does, Sean Adams. And he stops me after we talk about this. And so if you're, is there any pilots in here? Uh-oh, Rush can point this out if it's not totally true. I'm going to paraphrase something and simplify it in a way that Rush, just keep your mouth shut till later, all right, in case I'm wrong. Sean said, Ron, that's called pilot-induced oscillation. And here's basically what he told me. I'm looking to rush, see if like he's like... Anyways, it's basically to simplify it. One of the implications is, especially inexperienced pilots, start overcompensating 
when they go up and then they overcompensate because they got to go back down and they, they get into this kind of motion. And that has dangerous implications. And Sean goes, one of the ways to fix that, Ron, this pilot-induced oscillation, that I read it online, there's three things really, because the pilots freeze up, even sometimes experienced pilots, they get caught into this up and down motion, this porpoising, and three things they can do. One, freeze the controls, reduce the aggressiveness of control, but Sean said, what you need to do sometimes, this sounds crazy, is actually let go of the controls to let it level out and fix it. There's some other things that I'm not going to take the time to talk to you about. But can I challenge you today and myself? Maybe one of the things that Jesus is saying is stop, stop doing it yourself. Stop. Stop it. Let go. Let me take over. And when you let me take over, then you follow me. Let me lead. Let me control. Let me fly. Let me drive. What, I, don't, I don't care what it is, but let go. Stop. You're caught in this, this. It's not the full abundant life that Jesus speaks of. And it needs to stop. Is it going to stop just because you say, I'm done, I surrender all to Christ? Well, that's the beginning. Now we enter this process of sanctification, working through it. We're together. You're here. When you're low, then you got some of us that are trying to just do this. We're with you. We hug. We cry. We pray together. We, we invest in one another's lives. It's, we, can, we can do this. But we got to let Jesus have everything. We can't compartmentalize our lives. So when, when this happens, one of the things that Jesus wraps up with is he says, count the cost then. So in all of this, we count the cost. He gives a couple illustrations of the building of the war, and he asks us to evaluate our lives and hearts. I hope that we do that today and moving forward. This is not a forced decision. We don't guilt or manipulate people into doing it. Each person must consider it for themselves. Jesus encourages this. And so the question becomes, am I willing to go on this journey? Is this what I want to do? Some people answer, no, I do not want to do this. There's at times that Jesus almost respects that right now more than fence riding. But others will say, yes, I'm in, I'm all in. This is a big step of faith because we often don't know what the real cost is ahead of time. Have you ever seen that? We don't know what it is. I don't know what he's going to ask you to do because someone here might make that decision and say, I am all in. No turning back, no turning back. What does that mean? I have no idea for you. You could move to another part of the world. Next June, I'll take some people not only to Israel but into Jordan. You'll experience working with Syrian refugees. And part of my prayer is, I hope I end up leaving one of you, well, maybe within a reasonable amount of time, leave you there. You know why? Because you go, no, turning back. These people need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm staying. Somebody will change jobs completely. Somebody may break off a relationship that should have been broken off a long time ago. I, I mean, I don't know what it is. Some of you will make decisions for your kids that you haven't been. Someone else will go, forgive me, for I have sinned. I've blown it. Will you 
forgive me. Some will make decisions and choices that will have, man, eternal implications for them. Is that what you want? But we don't know all that ahead of time. Jesus doesn't say, this is what your life's going to look like, Ron. You're in the fourth grade, going to accept me, receive what I've done for you. Then you're going to go through a real tough time. Then you're going to move to California, go to Bible school, then quit Bible school. You're going to screw up. You're going to go back to Bible school. Then you're going to go back down to California. And you're going to have a couple years of real torture. You're going to want to be a pastor, but then you're going to not want to be a pastor. You're going to have rough times in marriage. You're not going to have any kids. You're going to move back to Rogue River, Oregon. I mean, he didn't tell me all that ahead of time. The truth is, I might not have signed up for that if he explained it that way. <laughs> so if you want all the answers right now and you go, I want to do this, but tell me what it looks like, then I'll go, you're not ready. Except come and die. Come and die. We'll do it together. I can, tell, I can promise you that. You're not alone. We'll do this together. When you cry, I'll cry with you. When you laugh, we'll laugh together. When you feel like you can't do it, we'll help pick you up. When you blow it, we're there for you. And then we want to create a community where we do that for one another. It's a big step of faith. He's calling you in a relationship, not a decision. So here's a couple more questions to ask as we prepare for communion. The worship team can come. Listen, think about this. If I choose to obey Jesus' call to follow, what might it cost me? Is there something that comes to mind right now? I signed up for this with about, I think there's like six of us right now that are doing this whole life challenge. We want to change our lifestyle in all areas of life. Drink more water, work out. I want to do these uh, lifestyle practices that get me to focus on some things that help me personally. I need to do some mobility because I'm getting old and stiff. You know, I need to do this with people. And it said in there, in my thing that I picked food-wise, that I had to give up uh, two things that I love food-wise, cheese and bread. I had to count the cost. And I ate enough bread on Thursday and Friday to last me for eight weeks. <laughs> so I'm ready to go. It's not, it's not following Jesus, though. Just trying to do it better with my life in that way. Is there anything the other question is holding you back from following him? And then it takes it deeper and says, am I willing to let go of these things if necessary? doesn't always mean it's necessary, but are you? It's a good question to ask, to be honest with God about. This is some hard stuff, isn't it? I don't even know if I was sitting in your shoes right now that I would like this message. Like, that was a funny story about the uh, one thing and the dog thing made me cry, but the rest, ugh. Many, many have said um, this week as I was looking at this that there was, there's the cost of discipleship, but do you know there's really a cost of not following Jesus, if you thought of it that way. So the decision to not follow him 
maybe far greater than making a choice to follow him. Dallas Willard and others wrote about this. It says that it costs you if you choose not to follow Jesus, abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs the power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundant life that Jesus speaks of, John 10.10. What does it cost? Jesus said the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Mine is to give them a rich and satisfying, abundant life. That's what it costs. I miss out on that. It's true. May we not waste away our lives like that. The cost of not following Jesus will be great for me, for us as individuals, for our families and our neighbors, for the church, for those that are lost and looking for hope. This little woman that lives in the yellow house at the top of my street, my selfish ways could cost something for her. And Jesus brings it to a head when he talks about salt. So he wraps up and says, if you do this, he says in those last words, we could put it up there on that screen, these last couple verses, he says, you follow me this way, you're like salt. And salt is good for seasoning. It is, man. We, we need and love salt, some of us. Some of us shouldn't have it today. It's on the tables. Don't take a pinch of it, probably. You're not supposed to, but, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You can't. Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Listen to this, he says. We are to be, the Bible tells us, like salt. When we live this way for Jesus, you are seasoning, you're flavoring. The Bible even says, Paul writes, like you are the aroma of Christ, bringing death or life to people by the way we live and love. Man, may I be seasoning to this woman who lives on my street that she may be flavored. May she smell the beauty of grace and forgiveness and repentance and abundant life that Jesus has to offer. May our co-workers and our families and our neighbors and our community and a world looking for hope experience that same thing for we are to be salt. And if we aren't, if we lose that flavoring, we're, we're no good. But that goodness comes from Jesus and following him. Today as you take communion, Paul writes to us and says, Christ's love controls us, compels us, urges us on. I talked about that earlier with this woman. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. And today at the communion table, if you would stand with me, at the communion table are three things today. One, there is the juice. When you drink it, we are remembering, recalling, embracing, receiving what Christ has done for us when he sacrificed himself for our sins so that we could live this life and follow him this way. When you take that piece of bread in the dish, you are reminded that he gave of his body, that he suffered, 
and we are investing in him like he invested in us by going all in and saying, here is my body, but first, thank you for yours, Jesus. And the third thing today is not some, something we have, but it's a little dish with salt in it. So you can just look at it. May you be reminded that you, that you are, because of what Christ has done, the salt of the earth. Not what you've done, what he's done. Our part is to receive it. May you look at that. Some of you may take that little pinch of finger there and grab a little bit, put it on your tongue before or after communion and say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. This seasoning, this flavor, this beauty, this aroma, it's from you. May I be salt to my family, to my community, to my neighborhood, at the coffee shop, at the gym, at the school. I'm all in. So maybe sometime before you go, you take a little pinch of salt and be reminded of that. Put it on your tongue. Taste and see that the Lord is good and then go and be that. And Father, thank you today for your blessing to us and what this all means. We honor you today, not just with our lips, but with our lives. And if someone is here today that is discovering that, I'm glad they're here. Meet them right where they're at, Lord. As we take communion today, we're thankful because we could be who you declare us to be, but only because of what you've done for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the new creations that you have for each one of us. Because of your death, we can live. You set the example of suffering, of being all in for us. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.